Welcome back to the So Can I podcast. I am your host, Lauren Cunningham, and today I'm joined by Wells Maley. Wells is an Atlanta native. She loves all things mid-century, enjoys unwinding with Bravo TV, and jumps at any excuse to dress up. Swells started during her time at UGA, but at first was only an Instagram account. At Swells of Splendor was a virtual mood board where Wells anonymously posted photos that she loved. At the same time, she was wearing her mother's and grandmother's silk scarves as tops and accessories. Wells loved being able to wear something classic yet creative amongst her peers. Between the inspiration received from her Instagram mood board and desire to revamp silk scarves on the college scene, it didn't take long for Wells to start designing her own scarves. And just like that, the Swells brand was born. In this episode, Wells and I talked about the beginning of Swells, how to start a business while in college, the inspiration behind her scarf designs, and so much more. I know y'all are going to love Wells. Hello, everyone. Today, my guest is Wells. Welcome to the show, Wells. Hi, thank you for having me. Yes, I'm so excited to get to chat with you, and I like to start with some rapid fire. So what would you say your favorite restaurant is? Ooh, favorite restaurant. Um, Okay, there is a place in New York called Dante, and they have amazing martinis, amazing branding, and I don't live in New York, but it's such a special place when I get to go up and snag a quick bite and cocktail there. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Um, I was just telling somebody the other day, I went to New York with my dad um, when I was in college. It was such a great trip. But the one thing we did not plan was our meals, which is so funny because we're such foodies. I mean, we can stumble into anywhere. And that's pretty much what we did. But I think looking back, we're like, we probably should have looked into that a little bit <laughs> yeah. more because there would be there was like a day where we did not eat until four o'clock. And I was just like, I am starving and there's so much great food around you. And so you're just like, what are we doing? But, but yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, um, okay. What is your favorite vacation spot? Favorite vacation spot is Blue Mountain Beach on the 30A Strip in Florida. I've gone there every summer of my life. My parents went there before I was born. Literally the same place. They've stayed in the same spot. And it's just really special. Kind of a home away from home. Yeah, for sure. That's how – I don't know if you've heard of Perdido Key, but it's like just, I guess, west of the Pensacola area. So kind of in the same same area. Um, That's kind of how our family is. My parents went on their honeymoon. Like they've been going since, you know, before – me and my sisters were born. And so, um, but yeah, I've had so many guests say 30A is like their favorite vacation spot. I've never been. Oh, you cool. gotta go. That's what I hear. That's what everybody says. My sister went on her senior trip and, and my mom was like a chaperone on the trip. And so they had the best time. And so I'm like, we really, we really need to go. Um, okay. What is your morning routine? Morning routine. Lately, I've actually been exercising, which I mean, that's a very normal thing to do in the morning, but I'm getting married later and it's just like, all right, now's the time to really start the healthy habits, be strategic about it. So um, I do a little workout and then drink my coffee afterwards, do devotional, and then usually open up the laptop, start with the emails and see where the day takes me after that. Yeah, I love it. What is a great book you've read recently? Ooh. Okay, this is kind of embarrassing because I really am not good at reading. I, I, the last book I finished was it was called Eligible, and it was great. I guess this is my answer. It's eligible, but the fact that I probably should just like bring up my filter and not say, but I'm going to say it anyways. Is it took me I think two years to read. Like I just don't read, but I loved the book, and so it was a modern take on Pride and Prejudice. So it was like 
this guy in a kind of bachelor adjacent show and all the characters were really funny. And yeah, that was it. Eligible. <laughs> okay. I'll have to look into that. Um, okay. So I know you love Bravo TV. So <laughs> I, I do as well. I'm like, so okay, I love it. So uh, what are some of your favorite shows? Oh my gosh. Where to start? Okay. Number one would be Southern Charm based in Charleston. So my good. number one as well. Yes. Okay. Love it. Kindred Spirits. Um, of course, any of the housewives. You can't go wrong. We've got Below Deck. Also so good. Um, flipping out for the like long-term Bravo fans with Fred, or Jeff. I don't know why I just said Fred. Yeah. Jeff Lewis. Um, yeah. All of them. So good. Yeah. Great. Mindless watching. So good. I know. I feel like now is a really good uh, – Vanderpump. Did you watch Vanderpump Rules? Okay. Yes. yes. So uh, Summer good. House. Do you watch Summer House? I do watch Summer House occasionally. Yeah. yeah. They're both back on. And then New Jersey. Real Housewives of New Jersey just came back on for the new season. So I'm just always, like – Always has the tea. So good. So good. Okay. Um, I always – I love – I've had several people on where I do like a little Bravo rapid fire. And so it's all – that's always so fun. But um, but yeah, uh, I, I love having people on who who are self-proclaimed Bravo lovers. Some people don't admit it. But, you know, it's just – it's the few and far between. If you know, you know, and you're better for it. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. What – we'll get serious now. So what okay. is your superpower? <laughs> My superpower. Okay. I like to say that I have kind of a living Pinterest in my head, which maybe that's not a really exciting superpower, but I just think it's the best because I'll see a picture and I think, oh, that would be really good to translate into something design wise or just, I don't know. I love just scrolling through vintage photographs or different, you know, interior design catalogs, whatever. I just, I love kind of keeping that mental bank of inspiring images. Yeah, I love that. Okay, what charity would you like to highlight in this episode? I would like to highlight Gilgal. My friends are very involved with it, so I learned about the charity through them originally, but it is a Christ-centered rehabilitation center for women struggling for alcohol or drug addictions, and they do some really incredible work. Yeah, well, we'll link to that in the show notes, so thank you for sharing. And so let's just kind of Go back to the beginning. So tell me where you're from and what you were like as a child. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Okay. So I'm laughing. You'll understand why. I am from Atlanta, Georgia, and I still live here in Atlanta, Georgia. I went to the University of Georgia, so very much a Georgia girl. And as a child, I was very much the same way that I am now in that my mom quickly nicknamed me the 60-year-old school teacher because my favorite things to wear were cardigans. I would shop in like the actual Mrs. department, not even juniors, Mrs. and just thought it was the best clothing ever. And like this goes as far as to say that in high school, I went to a public high school in Atlanta and um, I later switched. But before that and before I had uniforms and everything, I legitimately wore penny loafers to the school. And the school was not small, like enormous. And I was just walking down the halls in my penny loafers, very much standing out. But um, yeah, I've always been very just, I don't know, old soul, I guess I would say. And um, I think that translates now into my career path. But that it was it was a sweet childhood. I had a great childhood. And yeah, 
<laughs> yeah, no, that's so funny because when you were mentioning all of that about like shopping in the misses, I was like, you you do seem like an old soul. I feel like just by looking at your social media, like you do seem like an old soul, but in a good way. I mean, that's that's not a bad thing. Um, <laughs> so skipping ahead, you went to the University of Georgia, which I just okay. So today I just interviewed somebody who went to the University of Florida, and then I live like around the Knoxville, Tennessee area. So I had the whole football conversation with her. Um, but uh, so we're huge Tennessee fans, but tell me what it was like going to the University of Georgia. What did you major in? Just what was that time like? It was great. I So I went there and it's funny, you've been speaking of football. If any of my friends listen, they will know that I'm so far away from a football fan. And I went to Georgia because I wanted to major in fashion merchandising, which is what I majored in. But the only schools in the South, that was another criteria. I wanted to stay somewhat local that had really reputable fashion programs for Georgia and Auburn. So it was between those two. And when I got into Georgia, I was like, well, okay, no question. I'm going to stay in state and go. And my dad went there as well. So um, it was great. I went there just under those pretenses, not really the classic ones to attend Georgia for. And it was amazing four years. I had a great time in my classes. I met amazing people, came out with best friends. Um, and it was just some formative years that I will always be grateful for. Yeah, I love that. And so during that time, like, what were you thinking you would be doing after graduation? Did you have internships? Like, what did that look like? Yes. So it's interesting because I say that I never imagined doing this, and I'll touch some more <clears throat> on that. But when I was at Georgia, freshman year was just kind of, you know, going through the motions, getting acclimated, um, and feeling confident that something would present itself intern wise or job wise, just, you know, kind of taking the strides as they came. And so I worked over the summer after that freshman year, actually on 30A. It was at a, I was a bike repair girl, like borderline mechanic and um, beach service, like surf camp person. I've never surfed. Maybe I shouldn't say this either, but I was teaching kids how to surf. I've never even done it myself, but I digress. So nothing at all related to what I do now. Came back, had a full year, sophomore year. And, oh, what did I do? Was this this was, uh, oh yeah, this is right. Okay. Sophomore year done. Going into junior year, the summer after that, I interned in New York and yeah, this is, wow, this is crazy to say. Okay. Summer after sophomore year, I interned in New York and I worked for Zach Posen, his label in the PR department. And then while I was there, I scooped up another internship, which I don't want to say this was easy, but it was interesting to me coming from Georgia, there's not a lot of fashion opportunities compared to New York. So being like having that zip code, so to speak, of being in New York, people were like, sure, come on, come intern. Free labor, great. Um, because fashion internships are not known for the dollars. <laughs> but um, while I was there, intern for Zach Posen PR and then Sailor in their kind of marketing department, I, I kind of made the internship. They hadn't had an intern before, but I just cold emailed them and they said, come on along. Um, and it was a wonderful, wonderful summer. I came back to Georgia, very inspired, knowing I wanted to be in this kind of luxury market um, and expected to go back the following summer after junior year. But of course, this is when COVID happened and New York was very much shut down. So that kind of leads into the Swells story itself. But that work experience was spent there. And when I was at Georgia, I worked for a luxury interiors designer slash firm. And then later a boutique that was like, it was 
ready to wear, but also some luxury element elements as well. So always just that like very aesthetic world. I just, I love that scene. I guess that goes with the Pinterest thing I said earlier. Um, and that's, that's where my sights were set. Yeah. Well, it's funny that you say that because I feel like knowing what you do now, which we're going to get into, like all of these things definitely helped you with your company now. So that's really cool. Um, but I do want to talk to you about New York. So what was your time like there? Like how fun was that to live there? Oh my gosh. It was incredible. And very, very just, I did not take it for granted when COVID happened because that New York didn't exist. It's still kind of coming back, but talk about naive. I went up there by myself. I found where I was going to live off of a random Facebook post from a mutual friend said, okay, two other girls live in this apartment. I don't know who they are. They're real life New York adults. Like there's just no telling, but I'm walking in there. Also, I don't know if you want to include this in the podcast because it's not very like informational, but I just think it's silly. So I said yes to this um, sublease over the summer. The girl said that her furniture would be in there. I thought, great. Okay. Don't have to bring as much. I walk in for the two month internship. I'd be living here. I walk in and there is a like, I don't know, three inch thick cot just on the floor and a set of Office Depot drawers. And that was the furniture she left behind. But the photo she posted on Facebook had this beautiful, it was like a front gate showroom. I mean, to compare the difference here. So that was a little scary. Ended up working out furniture. The girl coming in behind me wanted to move in all of her stuff early. So that worked out, had a fully furniture room. But that was like a, what am I doing in New York? I'm about to live on the floor literally for the next two months and turning out a luxury fashion label. This is very much contrast. But my roommates also were so amazing. They really took me under their wing and showed me the city and still good friends with them. But the actual working part of it was incredible too. As I kind of touched on before, Georgia, different fashion scenes in New York. And this is what I had been dreaming of to see. And it was really cool to see it play out in reality. And at Zach Posen, he had one of the only ateliers actually in his like office. And a lot of them are outsourced, whether it be overseas or just in a different area of New York. And I sometimes manned the front desk of his whole um, office, if you will. And so right next to it was the atelier. So the door would open occasionally, I mean, not occasionally, almost all day long. And so I'd get to watch these insane dresses being made. I mean, it was just, it was so cool to see. I, I will always be grateful for that. Yeah, for sure. And so did you say COVID hit your, was it your junior or senior year that COVID hit? My junior year, it hit. And then we went home over junior year spring break and then never went back. And so senior year I was there and it was kind of better, but um, different for sure. (laughs) So, okay. So you had planned, you thought you would go back to New York between junior, senior year. Did you have anything, were you thinking ahead to after graduation at all? Like was moving to New York like permanently kind of in your mind? 100%. Yes. I wanted to be in that luxury, maybe PR scene. It's interesting. I I say PR kind of casually. I don't know if everyone else would agree with this, but I didn't know what I was getting into when I signed up for a PR internship. Of course, they bullet out things, but they glamorize it a little bit. Like one thing that I did the entire summer was run garment bags to different stylists and magazine shoots. And these were ball gowns. And this was in the middle of summer and they were in black heavy garment bags. I mean, it was not glamorous, but a lot of PR is just kind of like showing up and being the right person. And 
I thought that was great. It was, you have to be kind of a self-starter and a, a people person. And I didn't go to school for PR, but I enjoyed that within the realm of the fashion industry. So I thought, sure, let's just, you know, go with that, see what happens. And you kind of had to be a jack of all trades in these positions. So I felt like, okay, cool. I don't have to have a linear LinkedIn cut out road ahead of me. Um, so yeah, New York luxury, that's what I was going to you mentioned, you said a word, you said self-starter. And it's funny because I had this written down um, when I was like taking notes about you. Um, So kind of moving on a little bit, you obviously COVID had hit and you couldn't go anywhere, you know, in between your junior, senior year. So you kind of decided to create a business and it'd be like your own internship. So have you always been a self-starter? Because I feel like that, I mean, I feel like people went one of two ways in COVID. You either just kind of chilled, which, hey, that's fine. Or you started something. A lot of people started businesses, you know, during that time. So would you say you've always been like entrepreneurial or like a self-starter in that sense? I would say yes to the self-starter, no to the entrepreneurial. If it's interesting, like even thinking about that, like separation of the two, but the two things I'll say to further describe that my mom is an artist. And so I've watched her have this creative and self-started career path my whole life, which has been great to see like, okay, this is acceptable and this you can do something with wonderful. Um, as opposed to if my parents had been doctors or something and I was in a very different field. Um, and the second thing was when COVID really did first happen, I was bored at home. I'm an only child and I love my parents. But I think we all were kind of like, oh my gosh, what are we doing? And my friends have this um, sports gaming company. The way that I even describe this, I'm so sorry if they listen to this, but again, describes that I'm not in this wheelhouse. (laughs) And so I was helping them with this and they are, I mean, truly businessmen. They know what they're doing. I left, I came and told my parents like, oh my gosh, this is terrible. I heard them hop on a phone call with these investors and I could just never do this. Holy cow. I don't have the backbone. Never will I have my own business. Well, what did I do two weeks later? (laughs) Um, And I did it as just really something for myself. It was a passion project. So that self-starter was there in creating something, but the entrepreneurial side came later because I didn't think I had it in me to be this way. And it's been kind of fun molding myself to be an entrepreneur, but kind of rewriting that narrative too of like, all right, you don't have to be on the conference call, like being Mr. Wolf of Wall Street, not that those boys were, but anyways, that type of person I had made an entrepreneur out to be in my mind. And it's fun not being that. I hope I'm not that. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So what did those beginning stages of swells look like? I mean, like, so you're at your parents, COVID hit, it's summer, you know, nobody knows what's going to happen. Like, who knows if you're going to get to go back to Georgia for your senior year? I mean, people literally didn't know, you know, what was happening. So what did those beginning stages look like? Beginning stages were a blast. I mean, they still are a blast, but at the time I truly was doing it just for my eyeballs only. I love web design. I just could do that all day long if I could. And so at the time, Shopify, which is the platform I use for my business, was free. I think they maybe were just doing that during COVID to kind of keep the the money making alive for them. Um, So it was free. And I said, great, no risk here. Let's build out a website. So much fun. Um, being a fashion merchandising student, there were a lot of projects that you had to have a product as your project. And so I had one going strong and I thought, great, pop in the product on the website. 
this is easy. And then um, I kind of just didn't want to stop. COVID summer was ending, but COVID was still kind of around. But we knew we were going back to Georgia. And I thought, well, let's just keep it up. Like this isn't super hard. A lot of the products I have on here, I don't actually hold an inventory. They're like drop shipped and I don't have to pay to make them. And all of it just kind of seemed like it could be seamlessly carried out into my senior year. Um, So I kind of got ahead of myself, but when it was starting, it was just really fun. It was full of choosing different colors and branding and fonts. I could talk all day about fonts. That's really nerdy, but I love them. And just carrying out what I saw in my mind and executing it in real life. Yeah, for sure. And so was it hard to have a company? I know you said like the beginning stages were, you know, easy and fun, but like, let's go through your senior year at Georgia. Like, was that difficult? Yes. Well, and the beginning stages. So (laughs) I have this reoccurring nightmare. Again, I'm really just saying a lot of things here, but I have a reoccurring nightmare of going to prison. Like that is my irrational fear. And when I started this, I was like, oh my gosh, well, I have to fill out all the forms. I don't even care if I'm making a profit. If I'm making a business, I have to be a registered LLC. (laughs) So I went through all of that paperwork and just filing your articles of organization and the taxes and blah, blah, blah. That was not fun. When I went back to Georgia, carrying out the business. So fast forward, like your question is asking, that was, it was just kind of weird. Like it was fun because it felt like I was doing something that was great, like not greater, but larger outside of the realms of college that could carry me outside of it. Whereas with senior year ending, you know, like this has a lifespan. I'm not going to live here forever. I'm not going to be around these people forever, but this business can be right now and later. So that was kind of calming. Um, I don't like change a lot. So that helped me, I guess. But it was it was a balance for sure. I remember like choosing to stay in some nights because I was prepping for a competition I was going to be in, or there was a conference I went to that I purposely said, no, I'm not going to even like hang out with people because since COVID was still kind of going on, I was like, I need to quarantine myself. I can't miss this or just those types of ebbs and flows, but nothing too dramatic at the start, just choices like everyone has. Yeah, definitely. So when was it that you felt like, okay, this is, you know, I mean, obviously you started it as a business because like you said, you're filling out all your paperwork, but when did it really kind of hit you that this could be like a full-time postgraduate thing? Yes. So I'd say spring of senior year, I was still planning to have a job, like a, well, a typical job. I have a job, but a typical job. And I remember walking around the neighborhood with my mom. I had just come back for a weekend or something. And she was like, you know, Wells, you really, I really think you need to stop stressing about finding a job because fashion jobs never come out until really soon for anyone listening that's in the fashion world. I'm here to say, don't compare to your friends who are posting on LinkedIn in like September of senior year about having their job in an accounting firm or, you know, whatever, because you're not behind. It's just a very different timeline. But nevertheless, I still was falling into that category stressing. And my mom's like, well, Wells, you have a job. It's swells. And I said, no, that's not real. And she said, but it is. You like, you have no risks right now. You don't have a family to support. You don't have a mortgage. You just, everything, world is your oyster. You have nothing to lose. So risk it. And if you lose it, it's fine because there was nothing there in the first place. And I said, okay, thank you for this confidence. And I'm so grateful that she and my dad both really said, like, it's now's the time to do it. You can live at home. We live in Atlanta and we have 
access to really anything. It wasn't like I, I lived two hours away from a major city. And that's when I said, okay, let's let's take the risk and see what happens. And thankfully, in this same time, I was getting involved with Georgia's entrepreneurship program. And um, right after I graduated, I joined their like summer kickstart program, which really educated me on how to have a successful business on the financial and just like planning side. Because I had the creative there, but like I said, that entrepreneur archetype I made was something I wanted to stay away from, and um, that that was all happening at the same time. And thankfully, set us up for success. Yeah, definitely. So, tell me a little bit about UGA's entrepreneurship program. So, was that like probably one of the best things you did for your business? I mean, like, tell me about that. Hundred percent. They still do it every year um, or every summer, I suppose. But the entire program was great. My friends were in it during college. You can get certificates and such. I just wasn't in it um, because, of course, I didn't think I was going to be using it. Of course, I did. Um, But that program, so you have to apply to get in it. I was very naive when I did that. Again, that maybe this is a theme, me being naive. But um, I thought like, okay, cool. It's kind of like a, a course that I show up to every week. Oh, no, no. They made sales goals for you. If you didn't make them, you were kicked out of the program. There were different lecturers that came in that were working entrepreneurs. Um, And then there was a cohort of us of, uh, I think, five of us. And it was amazing. We got very close. We had two mentors that were UGA professors and very grateful for, I mean, they committed a lot of time of theirs to us all summer. And I learned a lot and just, they were really making me put my foot pedal to the metal. And I would not have done that. Yes, self-starter, we kind of talked about that, but I didn't even think I could do this type of thing. And they really, really helped me believe that I could. Yeah, that's awesome. I feel like that's such a needed thing for all colleges. I'm so glad UGA does that. I'm sure bigger schools do that. I went to a smaller school and I majored in accounting. And um, so we, I had a lot of business classes, but I think we were talking because I, I got my MBA at right after school and we were like, okay, in undergrad business, you learn how to be a good employee in mm-hmm. you know your master's, you learn how to be a manager, but you don't learn ever learn how to be an entrepreneur. And I think it's because it's difficult and it's so like such a personal journey to everybody because everybody has different businesses. But um, that sounds like that's such an amazing program because it seems like it really, really helps you kind of take that next step, even just having the accountability aspect of like, you have to do it. Yeah. Well said, 100%. Yeah. Okay. So tell me if I have a listener that's not familiar with Swells, just tell me a little bit about it. Sure. Swells is a scarf brand that just brings in a little touch of whimsy to anyone's wardrobe. And I hand draw all of the designs on the scarves. So you won't find them anywhere else, but they always stay very colorful and very happy. I love to pull inspiration from different mid-century photos. So bringing in that little blast from the past, but in a modern and fun way, you know, people kind of think silk scarves maybe are old or, oh yeah, my grandmother has a huge collection of those, but it's fun bringing in this accessory that is timeless, but not stale, you know, and swells, that's, that's the mission for swells. And it's been a blast so far doing it. 
I love that. So, okay, I've had several, you know, I'll, I'll usually either have like influencers on here that have a blog or people who have, you know, started a company. And one of my favorite questions to ask is like, how do you start a, a scarf company? Because I feel like that's something that, you know, I mean, can you just maybe lead us through that process? Because to me, it seems overwhelming. I know I've had so many guests that are like, no, you just take the next step. Like, it, you know, you just kind of do what comes next, but just lead us through how to start a scarf company. Yes. Well, I wish I had this guidebook because it did not even start out as a scarf company. So there's step one is don't attach yourself to the title of that book that you're reading. Okay. 101, how to start a scarf company. Scratch it. This started as collective, if you will. Like I was drawing and putting things on a whole different list of products. Eventually it narrowed down to just scarves. And how I did that was... I did a lot of my drawings digitally. Some were in real life that I then digitized, but now I I mainly just draw all digitally. And there are a ton of resources now that will digitally print your products onto whether it be a mug or a tea towel. I am doing scarves, but I, if you had said, you know, how did you start this business? I would have thought someone was hand painting the scarves, which let me just say, is a beautiful art form. I wish that I could do that, but right now it's it's digitally printed, which brings in an environmental benefit. Um, it's easier on just inventory choices, how many you're producing. So I would say, figure out what you want to do. All right, let's make a product. How do you want to decorate that product? Is it with your artwork? Is it with sewing choices. Let's say if you're like making a garment, what type of trim do I have or fabric? So then you choose that like makeup, product makeup. And then I went to Google as everyone else does, digital printers for XYZ product and found a whole list. I chose my like web hoster. So I went with Shopify, but there are a bunch of different commerce platforms on there. WooCommerce I've heard of, Squarespace, um, any of those web servers. And then a lot of these manufacturers, if you go with certain ones, will integrate with those platforms. So I seamed all that up, put it together, and then um, that all just kind of works as a well-oiled machine. Of course, (laughs) I made it sound very simple. There are a lot of little fires that pop up every single day. But um, I would say those are the bullets that if you kind of strip it down and don't get worried about the end result, then it it actually is just like you said, how a lot of the other people answer just step-by-step and it all, all lines up. Yeah, definitely. I feel like I've learned so much just by doing this podcast. And I remember my first guest that I had on that had like a product that they sold. Um, Her name was Katie Kopstad and she has a tea company. And I remember thinking like, how do you, I mean, I would never even know where to start like with tea and coffee and, and all of that. And she was like, no, like, I mean, it's very doable. I mean, it takes a lot of hard work not to take away from what the, you know, everybody is doing, but like, kind of like what you said, you just Google it and you just kind of figure it out. Yeah. I mean, and I'll say like, I get overwhelmed I'd say almost every hour. Like I have to not think too hard because then I think, oh my gosh, well, how am I going to order all of these silk scarves in time for this? Or how am I going to ship these out? Or what if I forget or, you know, whatever. But no, if you just, you know, take a step back, I use my fiance and my parents as therapists all the time. 
they have to calm me down, but um, it does. It all works out. And if the passion is there, I like to say that success follows. So thankfully it, it, it does, does work out. Yeah, definitely. And so I'm curious just because I'm not artistic at all. So I want to know what the process is of like coming up with these new designs. Like what is your artistic process? Oh man, sometimes it's really easy and sometimes it is so difficult. I worked on, well, okay, there's been a few scarves that I've started and and haven't finished. Like I've had to push it for the next year's rollout because there is a deadline. And when there's a deadline around, my brain just turns off and I, I just couldn't finish it. Other times, like the game day collection of scarves that I have, I think that took two hours to draw, which maybe sounds like a long time, but that's a really fast time, like very, very fast for me at least. And then there's another one that took about six months to draw. I mean, truly it just, you never know. But for me, aside from the actual time involved of drawing it, the process will look like seeing a color palette that I want to use and design inspiration kind of comes from that. Maybe it's a TV show that I think, wow, these elements of their costumes or their set is really inspiring. How how can this translate into something that we could relate to today? Or because usually it's a vintage show that I, I find inspired, inspiration from. Um, or it's just, all right, let's say, for example, those game day scarves. That needs to be something that everyone can wear. So to contrast it with a different scarf I have, let's it's called the Santro Pay scarf. It's like a bunch of different little doodles all around. Very niche, if you will. The game day scarf, well, you're buying that because you want to look cute in the fields, not because it has a badminton racket on it like the Santro Pay scarf does. So what's something kind of universal that everyone's going to like? A simple design, if you will. Um, so it's kind of different ways, whether it's the color palette or the actual like figures that you're drawing or the purpose I'll kind of choose one of the three and then go from there. Yeah. So have you always been artistic? Because I know you said your mom is an artist. So do you think you get that from her? Like, have you always been artistic? Because I mean, I feel like you're just like, yeah, just just design this. I'm just a scarf designer, <laughs> which is like, so not something that everybody can do. So like how, you know, are, have you always been artistic? Well, thank you for saying it that way. Um, I don't think of myself that way. So thanks. But yes, I would say I've always been artistic just growing up around that allowed me, I guess, to grow that muscle or strengthen that muscle faster than maybe others. I did not ever like drawing though, because it was my mom's thing. I took a class in college. It was part of my major. I just had to take drawing one and I would show my mom the stuff I was doing and she'd say, Oh, wow. Well, that's really good. And I was so shocked to hear her say this, not because my mom doesn't love me or like give me a compliment here and there, but because it just meant so much to have her approval. And I think growing up, I was always afraid to not have it. So I just didn't even try. And, um, I, I thought, well, that's her thing. I'm going to do this. I was really big into acting in elementary school and middle school. And um, that sounds kind of silly, but I was, (laughs) um, and so, yeah, I, I've been creative, loved fashion, but never was into drawing And then now this is suddenly what I do. I guess the apple does not fall far from the tree. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, did you think, because I mean, you've always loved fashion, but did you think you would be more in like the buying side or did you think that you would be like a designer? Because I mean, essentially that's what you are now. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Um, Definitely in more of that 
like kind of marketing buying side. So my dad was actually, uh, he had a showroom at the Atlanta Apparel Mart. So he was a wholesaler, so to speak, and managing different labels. So he was also in the fashion world. And so between them two, I did know I don't want to be a buyer specifically because I hear him talk about just the woes of the merchandising field like that. But I don't want to be a designer either because how can I ever come up with a new idea every collection? Of course, here we are now. But that seemed very daunting. So I thought, okay, kind of that blend of like creative strategy. So how could I be a creative director for a brand and plan their photo shoots and their branding and all of that stuff? That's that's where I saw that happy medium. Yeah, definitely. And so I'm curious too, like, so you you design the scarf, like you finish your design, you send it in. Do you get a sample in the mail? Like, how does that work? Do you get to see your design? Sometimes. Other times there's not time for a sample and you just have to commit and it's just very scary. <laughs> there are two different scarves I carry on the website right now. One's a machine washable and it's a quicker turnaround. And then the other one is a 100% silk and it's Italian silk made in New York. It's my favorite. Well, maybe I shouldn't say that, but I will. It's my favorite. (laughs) Um, And so those you can get a sample for and those you have to order all at once. And those also are the ones that I have sometimes not had a sample for. And oh, just... It's worked out, knock on wood, but it's it sends me into some high blood pressure moments for sure. <laughs> yeah, I would say that would be very stressful. Do you remember like getting that first sample in the mail, like for your first scarf? Like, do you remember that? Oh my gosh, yes. Um, it was while I was at Georgia, and I've actually moved away now from the material of scarf I was printing on at the time, but. It was crazy. And I remember it was this, um, it was inspired off of a jewelry store in Charleston called Krogan's. And it's a family owned business. Um, I went to college with one of the family members and I just, I loved their story and I loved the jewels specifically that my friend always wore. So I kind of put it into a scarf and I wore it out to dinner with some of my friends and it was this, I, ca- I called it the Lazuli scarf. So it had this blue and it was against the Navy and I wore it just with like a white poplin shirt. Anyways, you weren't asking about my outfit. <laughs> I wore it out to dinner and the waitress complimented it. And I about, I mean, I think I looked like, I don't even know what I looked like. I couldn't speak. My face got so red. And then my roommate at the time, friend of mine swooped in and she was like, ah, she designed it. And she, I mean, she was so nice to use words for me since I was very much struggling and nice ones at that. Um, and I just thought, Oh my gosh, actual other people like this. This is crazy. So it was really cool seeing the product, but it was even cooler seeing other people affirm what I was doing. And I, I will never forget that. Yeah. That's such a cool story. I love that. And I'm glad you told me about your outfit because fashion is is your thing. So, um, okay. I'm curious. I mean, you've been in business for for a little bit. And so what has been the most challenging part of owning your own business? Ooh, there are so many. The first one that comes to mind though, is not so much like, oh, it's hard to file taxes, which it is. But um, I'm jealous of your accounting background, by the way. That is, I'd say, your superpower without even, well, no, you're podcasting too, but I just am saying that's a superpower. I tell people that like accounting is great if you use it every day, but I've not used my accounting degree in like 
three years, I guess, because I kind of went just a different, different path. So I work in marketing now and I feel like the accounting muscle is very weak and probably non-existent because I'm like doing my year end stuff from last year now. And I'm like, what do I even do here? I'm like, I don't even know. But, but anyways, continue. <laughs> I feel better. My immediate thought is truly the emotional side of things starting the business, keeping the business going at every season of this kind of has a different emotional toll, like for me at least. So when I was starting it, I was, Oh my gosh, people are going to think I'm crazy. Why? Like no one's going to even want this. I I'm in college starting a business. No one's going to take me seriously. I'm too young for this. I don't have experience. I mean, the list could really go on, but that would become rather depressing. So I'll stop it there. Um, so that was that. Then it was, okay, I'm doing this. How am I going to pay rent next month? Am I going to have enough sales? Am I designing this right? Will people even like it? Then you have that. And then now the business is becoming a little bit more solidified, I'd I'd like to say. Um, And I feel definitely more confident in what I'm doing. And I can see what swells in my mind is going to grow out to be in reality. And it's exciting. But it's, oh my gosh, just that comparison trap this person's doing this so much better, or this person's doing more, or she's doing more pop-ups. He's more, I don't know, X, Y, Z. And so all of those things of like staying mentally strong of, okay, no, I'm here for a reason. I'm doing this for a reason. I'm on this timeline and path for a reason. There's no right or wrong and staying true to that. And like still very supportive of everyone else at the same time is it, it, it's a, obstacle course for sure. Um, so I don't know if that is like maybe the thing I should say in terms of challenges with businesses, but I think that it is a really real one. And the more people talk about it, the easier it is to just be nicer to yourself, (laughs) honestly. For sure. I think that, you know, most of us are on a similar path until after college, you know, and that's when it gets kind of tricky because you're like, well, this friend maybe got married or this friend is working, you know, a corporate job. This friend moved away, but this friend stayed here. You know, it's like everybody has such a different path. And so it is hard to not compare yourself to people. Um, And that kind of brings me to my next question. So if you are looking at an almost college graduate. So somebody may be graduating this spring. What advice would you give to them? So maybe they're just kind of at a crossroads. They don't know what they want to do professionally. Like what would you tell them? I would say take the time you need to figure out what you actually want to do. Because if you're just rushing into a job, I've seen it happen a few times now. And I say only a few because I'm still rather quick from graduating. It hasn't been a lot of time. Oh, what did I do? Three years, two years ago. Time flies. But if you rush in just to say, I I got this job so that you can say it to a neighbor or someone else at graduation and then you're there and you hate it or you're commuting somewhere that you don't want to go or, you know, whatever. You can fill in the blanks. It's not worth it because then it brings so much more stress later when you're trying to pivot or reevaluate what you even want to do. That being said, there are a lot of bonuses to that too. I mean, flipping it up, that statement on its head of like, all right, great. You realized you want to do this, or maybe you went for your dream job and it did not end up being what you expected. But I fall into this trap of, okay, well, I just got to do this. Like it'll figure itself out or I need to check this off the box. No, calm down, take a second, live at home for a week, a month, a year, if you need to, like, that's fine. And honestly, 
no one cares. <laughs> like that sounds harsh, but you are the only person who is thinking of you 24 seven. Like that, that's just how it goes. So be kind to yourself and grace, gracious to yourself of this is what I need to do. And this is what I want to do. And this is how we're going to do it. Yeah. I love that. I think it's funny because a lot of people I've had on the podcast have all said something similar to not just this question, but all of the questions just kind of about like, I was worried what people would think, you know, of me and everybody kind of comes to the same conclusion of nobody cares. Like literally no one cares about you (laughs) and it can seem harsh, but it's like, it actually is kind of freeing at the same time, you know? Cause it's like, well, I'm just going to do what I want to do. And if that doesn't work for somebody else and that's fine, Mm -hmm. but it it works for me. So yeah. And to that similar vein, I mean, yeah, no, no one cares, but everyone is so excited to support when they do see you following a passion. I mean, the words of affirmation and advice, unparalleled. I've never expected it. And it is so just like really inspiring to see people come in and rally around you. And if you need help with X, Y, Z, so no one cares, but everyone is ready to support. Yeah. I love that. That's, that's so true. Um, okay. So what do you feel like it means to trust the timing of your life and how have you seen that kind of play out in your life or in your business? Um, that is something I have to tell myself truly every day because I get so in my head, like I said, about just comparing or, you know, why, why isn't this happening yet? I'm ready. I'm X, Y, Z, but a hundred percent. Yes. Trust the timing. I have just now started to get into somewhat of a pattern of like resting, <laughs> which sounds crazy, but you know, when you have a nine to five, you clock in at nine, you leave at five. And that's it. Then you have Saturday day and Sunday and maybe no assignments, maybe a trickle here and there, but that's really it. So your brain actually gets to rest. When you're an entrepreneur, as you would probably agree, you're on 25-7, not just 24. And it can be very um, obviously difficult, but like confusing in your mind to say, but no, if, if I'm not here, then no one is. So I have to, there's no choice. I've gotten into this, you know, respect this timeline mentality of, okay, no, you will not continue your business if you don't take a break, period. Even if that's just an hour, don't worry, it'll be fine. Um, And if my, let's just say in terms of swells, my business grew in one month or even in one week, like if I was on the cover of Vogue next week, oh my gosh, I don't know what I would do. I could not handle it mentally. I could not handle it literally with like how many scarves I can produce at a time. No, it just would not be right. So to what you're saying, 100% respect the timeline, respect what you emotionally need and what you can physically do. And usually what that mental picture that you're making yourself do somersaults to achieve in real life, it's never actually a good one or a sustainable one. So understanding that. Yeah, for sure. Well, and to your point, I mean, people who do grow so fast sometimes can't handle it, you know? And I mean, I think about like, even with just this podcast, like, yeah, it would be great to have thousands and thousands of downloads every episode. But, you know, I'm like, could I handle that? Could I handle people giving me reviews? Or could I even handle thinking, oh my gosh, thousands of people are listening to my voice, you know? So um, anyways, I totally get that. And the reviews, so true about that. I mean, with every, what did they say? Like 
bigger success, bigger problems and stuff. I think but with the reviews and the people and the whole entire customer service element, I mean, wow, you could have an entire podcast on just that alone. So yes. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay. What is the biggest lesson you've learned? Biggest lesson is showing up. I would say just as simple as that. I feel like all of the questions you have asked so far kind of have that thread involved of show up, do this, don't worry about the end result, but everything will eventually layer up on top of each other. But also in an emotional side, showing up, like show up for the friends and the family that help you get started when no one else even knows your business exists and thank them and be kind to them. Um, Show up to the people that you meet and network with because not in a way of like, you don't know how they'll help you eventually, but in more like deeper way, you don't know how their story is going to help you or how you're going to help them. Um, And just showing up to really anything you can always say yes to, to a limit. I think you should say no sometimes, like I just was talking about with rest, but showing up will lead to the best results. Yeah. I love that. And so where do you see Swells going? I see Swells growing into a brand that fits all of those 20-somethings that are growing into their new mature environments. So whether it's finding a gift that the mother-in-law is going to like or showing up to your first day at the job that you have so prayed to get in a new accessory that is sophisticated and confidence and colorful inspiring or confidence inspiring and colorful rather and just growing into that piece in your wardrobe that makes you smile because there are a lot of things in your twenties that kind of don't make you smile and not everyone talks about that. And so to have something that will bring the confidence and will stand the test of time when you're 50 and you can look back and say, Oh my gosh, I wore that silk scarf on my first day at XYZ job. And now it's still in my wardrobe. How fun. Hey daughter, want to try it on? Or maybe, Hey, let me go and wear this to dinner tonight. I don't know. Just having those memories that last, um, rather than that 20 something who's wearing the grandmother's scarf, like let's be the 20 something who has a scarf. And then when she's a grandmother, her granddaughter wants to wear it too. Um, I just, I think growing into that brand that just brings the smiles on, on a day-to-day basis in a silky way. <laughs> yeah, no, I love that. And so where can people find you? My website is shopswells.com and my Instagram is at shopswells. Okay. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This has been so fun. Thank you for having me.